Good morning. Thank you for joining me and gathering together on this beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that you, wherever you are living, you survived the windstorms of last Monday night. You can see we have a huge tree down back by the garage. Thankfully, it looks like there was no damage, but that was certainly eye-opening and was praying for all of your safety throughout the week. So glad you're all here. Uh, this morning, we'll be celebrating Holy Communion. Uh, so hopefully you received a communion kit on your way in. If not, please uh, feel free to to get up and grab one at any point in the service. You are more than welcome to do that. And for those of you joining us from home, if you want to take a moment to gather bread and wine or grape juice, you can also have those elements ready and worship and commune with us uh, that way. Um, just one announcement for this morning. I want to get your on your calendar two weeks from today, September 18th. We are going to be hosting a ministry fair after the 9.30 and 11, 11 o'clock services, and we are going to be reaching out and having our different ministries represented so you can see what we'll be offering for programming this fall, Bible studies, book possibilities, other ministries and service ways that you can become involved. So September 18th, please, um, please come and join us for that. Thank you to everyone that filled out the Time and Talent Opportunity Survey. We got 62 responses in, and there is still time, I believe. You could go online and submit one today if you'd like. If anyone's worshiping with us for the first time, please catch me after worship, and I would love to meet you at the welcome desk and welcome you properly with a gift. Let's pray. Blessed Lord God, you have caused the Holy Scriptures to be written for the nourishment of your people. Grant that we may hear them, read, mark, learn, and allow your words to change us. That comforted by your promises, we may embrace and forever hold fast to the hope of eternal life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all of God's people say, Amen. I invite you to be seated. Dear Church, Grace to you and peace from the God who created you, from the Son who redeems you, and from the Holy Spirit who calls you each by name. Amen. Calculating costs has become a necessary hobby or habit of mine over the past few years. Even though I've never been really good with numbers and hated math in middle school and high school and avoided it in college, when you are a parent of four children and a member of a family of six, you kind of have to get invested in calculating costs. And I can tell you how that played out over the last few weeks. You see, we have one child going into junior high, two in elementary school, and one, yes, one blowing my mind starting nursery school this week. So every day it's been, okay, school supplies times three. Haircuts times four. New tennis shoes times four, because they keep growing. Soccer gear times two. Backpacks times four. New clean socks that actually have a partner times a million. Lunch supplies times three. Lunch boxes times three. Folder times three. Device insurance times three. Snacks times four to the infinity power only to find out that Hamilton is coming to Detroit, and should we go? Yes, tickets times six. No. Tickets times four. No. 
Tickets times two? Yes. Barely, but yes, tickets times two. Calculating cost is my way of life. It's what it means to be a responsible parent, raising my children and preparing for the future and being ready to put in the budget at least Hamilton tickets times one. Me. I could have never imagined what I was getting myself into the day in the hospital when my first son was placed into my arms. I had no idea that as our family grew, the investment of time, energy, and finances grew also. And with it, the necessity of constantly calculating the cost. In today's Bible passage, Jesus explains the cost of true discipleship. Jesus is on the move again. Having left the hospitality of the Pharisees' table from our reading last week, he's out on the road again, headed toward Jerusalem, and he knows that this is his last journey. He knows that walking into Jerusalem will cost him, well, everything. Our reading is from Luke 14, verses 25 to 33. Now, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to impose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Whoa! It almost sounds as if Jesus is trying to get people to stop following him. Have you ever heard Jesus be so negative, so harsh? Ten times in those few verses he uses the word not. Three of those are with the phrase, cannot be my disciple. Jesus has seen the crowds growing behind him, and he knows that some of these followers are really only tagging along to see another miracle, especially if that miracle includes getting lunch. Some of them are following only because they've caught up with this mob mentality that's begun to develop around Jesus as he gets closer and closer to Jerusalem. So he turns to the crowd and he says, basically, unless you're serious about following me, you might as well go home. I don't think Jesus is actually trying to get rid of followers. He just wants them and us to calculate the cost. We need to know what we're getting into when we say we follow Jesus because the cost is high. Specifically, Jesus says this thing that I just, I simply can't stand. He says that we must hate our families. And that 
was pretty strong stuff in a culture where your family was everything. And loyalty to your family was the highest loyalty expected. And that much, I don't think, has really changed. I can remember hearing this reading in church as a child. I can't remember how my dad decided to preach on it, but I can remember getting a little sweaty and nervous and thinking, Jesus wants me to hate my mom and dad? That doesn't make sense. I mean, this doesn't sound at all like the Jesus who says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. But if you take a look at that word, hate, you can see where Jesus might be going with this, a slightly different direction. First of all, we have to realize that that kind of hate, the hate Jesus is using in this text, it's not really an emotion. It's an attitude or perspective. Keep in mind that the entire Greek vocabulary, if you count up all the words, the different words used in the New Testament, only about 6,000 words total are used throughout the New Testament. Greek had a small vocabulary. And so the words had to carry a lot of different nuances and meanings because there were few of them. Compared to us, if you look in our current English dictionary, there's close to 200,000 words in our vocabulary. So each Greek word had many layers and multiple meanings. So in Greek, the word miseo can be translated as, yes, that gut emotional feeling of hate, but it can also mean to disregard something or to be indifferent to something or simply to love that thing a little bit less than something else. Miseo, not hate as in I hate you or I hate my mom and dad, but miseo as in I'm placing this a little bit lower than this other thing on my list. Jesus is offering us an invitation. He's saying, love me more then you would love the thing that you love the most. Because in his culture and time, family was that thing. Love me more than even the thing you love the most. And as if that wasn't enough, he says, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Not only must we be willing to put Jesus ahead of all other priorities, but he raises the cost of discipleship even higher. His original listeners wouldn't have been aware as he said that about bearing the cross that he was heading to a cross himself. But it was still a huge ask. Jesus must have seen the dismay on the faces of those following him as he uttered these intense and serious words. And whenever things were getting a little dicey, Jesus would turn to using his favorite teaching device, parables. So he says, if you're going to build a tower, wouldn't you first sit down and figure out if you could afford it? Hamilton times six becomes Hamilton times two. You wouldn't want to become a laughingstock because you failed to plan your project well. And if you're a king going into battle, wouldn't you first sit down and figure out if your army was strong enough to defeat the enemy? But still, Jesus isn't finished. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. Not only do we need to count the cost, that cost is everything we hold valuable. We bid farewell to everything we call our own. We have to leave behind everything that matters most to us. 
And when Jesus says you have to leave behind everything, whether family, good standing in the community, or the things you own, he means you have to leave it behind now and keep leaving it behind. It's not a one-time-and-you're-done thing. It's an ongoing, day-by-day, moment-by-moment surrender to God's grace and mercy. I think what Jesus is saying truly, following this path is going to be hard and it's going to hurt sometimes. So what does that look like? Is Jesus asking me quite practically to get up tomorrow morning and list all of my earthly possessions on Facebook Marketplace and sell them gone and I have nothing? Is that what he wants for me? Is that what he wants for my four kids, my family? I don't think so. I think when we get back to the heart of that word, that miseo, not hate, but to put Jesus ahead of every other thing in our lives, I think when that becomes most real to me is when I sit with my kids, when I've put the calculated costs of the school year to the side. Because as much as that can be overwhelming, calculating those costs, there's a whole other side of cost to being a parent that costs me way, way more. It's entering into the room of a child who's starting to see the world the way it actually is for the first time. It's sitting on his bed and hearing those tough questions of like, why? Why is it this way? Why can't I carry my backpack from one class to the next? Why are you worried about letting me on the bus, mom? Mom, why do those kids say those things and do those things? Mom, why does it hurt to be a part of the world sometimes. Now that's a cost I never planned on calculating as a parent. And I think the call of Jesus in that moment is the call to sit with my son and say those most difficult words, which are, I don't know. And I know how much it hurts. Because, see, I'd rather hold on to the idea that I can control this for you. I can fix this for you. I can make it all right. I can make it so you don't ever have to struggle or worry or be afraid or ask those hard questions. I would rather hold on to that. But that's the path where I hold on to my own ego and this illusion that I can do any of it. The harder more faithful path is to let my heart break open a little bit and sit there acknowledging all the things I can't do. Being present in that moment and every moment and acknowledging that I am completely powerless, surrendering my vision of my future to Christ's vision and Christ's future. And that's a tough thing to do. 
But this is where I get to remind you and remind myself, even as we hear Jesus call to this seemingly impossible cost of discipleship, this is where we get to gather on Sundays and through the week and remind each other that so far in the history of Christianity, no one's been able to pull it off successfully. Not Peter, not James or John or Mary or Martha, not St. Augustine or Martin Luther, not Mother Teresa or Desmond Tutu, Pope Francis or Rick Warren, not me, not you. Not one of Jesus' followers could do everything he asked them to do. But every one of his followers could do something. Some followed him at a distance when he went to Jerusalem. Some stood at the foot of the cross. One carried the cross and one gave up the tomb for him. A few came to the tomb to anoint his body and still others spread the news of his resurrection. Some disciples became apostles. Others gave money to the ministry of Paul. Some testified in public places while others administered baptisms. Some sang hymns and held vigil in prison while others healed the sick and preach the good news. And some work long shifts at the hospital, and others drive food trucks, and some fold laundry, and some wipe dirty faces, and some teach, and some sing, and some sit quietly on the foot of the bed and say, I don't know, but I know it hurts. And that's good news for me today. And I hope for you too. We follow a Jesus who calls us to go all in, to give our whole selves, to be holy and completely transformed, to calculate the cost and to realize this will cost us everything. Because this Jesus yearns for us to lay it down. Every last thing we think we need to have purpose or to possess or to achieve. A Jesus who wants us to know peace and purpose that comes from a life in service to others. And we follow a Jesus who knows we can't fully understand or live up to what we're called to do. And so that's why he takes up his cross. That is why he dies and he rises and revisits his disciples even after they've all fallen away. To live as followers, the cost is high, but the price of failure is no longer death. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul writes. And that's why we can hear this text from Luke, both as a challenge, a call to live our lives in a very different way, and also hear it as a promise. A promise that when our courage fails and our resolve falters, we are not cast off. We are in the company of all the saints who are also sinners just like us because that's the company Jesus keeps after all. May you be set free from all of the ways our world is working on you. May you hear Jesus' strong words as the words of one who is liberating you from the need to compete, possess, keep up with the expectations of the world and have all the answers. May you always find that Jesus is challenging you daily, every moment, to consider the true cost of following him. May you feel deep in your bones that when you find you've forgotten or failed or fizzled out, 
that his love was as rich and deep and unconditional as it was that day on the Jerusalem road. Let us pray. Lord God, we are called in so many ways into so many places in this world. We pray that we might learn to put you in front of us as our guide, as the one whom we follow, as the one over all. Help us in the moments when we can't control, compete, or fix to simply feel our hearts break open to your work in the world, to listen, to love, to grow, and in that moment to feel that we are your true disciples, completely and utterly dependent on your love. Bless us each day this week as we face the unknown, as we follow you. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand as you're able. The Spirit of the Lord is poured out amongst us in abundance, and so we can pray boldly for the world that God has made. With each petition, I will introduce a certain area that we'll be praying for, and in the silence that follows, let your heart and your mind guide you to the prayers that you need to speak either aloud or hold space for in your heart. After that silence, I'll say, Lord, in your mercy, and you can respond, hear our prayer. We lift up and pray for all of God's people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for your creation and this world that you've given to our care. Be with all clearing trees from their yards and their homes. Keep everyone safe. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who are overlooked or oppressed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who are sick, grieving, in need of healing, hope, or lonely. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for ourselves and for specific things that are happening in our personal lives. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Since we have great hope in your promises, God, we lift these and all of our prayers to you in confidence and faith, even as we now pray the prayer your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Remembering that Jesus meets us exactly where we are, if it's easier to stand when you commune or to sit, I would invite you to do whichever is more comfortable for you. 
In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. This is the body of Christ given for you. Amen. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. People of God, may the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you in his grace. Amen. Finally, we continue to thank you for your ongoing support of King of Kings. We are not currently passing the offering, but those who've been with us, you know that there are buckets at the doors when you exit where you can place your offering. There is also a way to give online through our website, koklc.org. Please know that every little bit that you share and give makes a difference in how we can care for each other and for God's people. Thank you for blessing us so that we can be a blessing for others. Receive now this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace. Share the good news. Thanks be to God.